Welcome to chapter three of this audiobook, Your Inner Game, 12 Principles for High Impact Entrepreneurs. In this chapter, we're going to be talking about regret and the path to self-awareness. But before we dive into the meat and the potatoes, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for investing in this show. Thank you for investing in this podstorm and this audiobook series. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say I appreciate you for being here and I want to also commend you for being here because I know that if you are here, this audiobook series is making a positive difference to your life. So thank you once again. And remember, if you have landed here, guys, this is a sequence uh, of uh, audiobook episodes. So please go back to chapter one, then chapter two, then chapter three, etc. And if you are enjoying any of what you hear, please do email me at hello at mattbrownshow.com or give me a tweet at mattbrownza. I would love to connect with you. So without further ado, let's get on with chapter three. Chapter three, the path to self-awareness. Player, Robin Wheeler, author of Death is the Ultimate Orgasm. Episode MBS 118. Principle, I will not live in regret. In the end, we only regret the chances we didn't take. Anonymous. There are many conversations that you can have with yourself about why you do what you do, but the most revealing will be a conversation that involves your death. Death is a subject that we rarely, if ever, talk about around the dinner table. In fact, we don't like talking about it, period, and for very good reason. The certainty of death is absolute, and it scares the hell out of us. We also don't really know what happens to us when we die, and that presents a real problem, because it's easy to fall into a trap of thinking that what we fear is the unknown. In fact, what we're really afraid of is the known coming to an end. Here's the thing though, there's a lot of power to be found in facing up to the idea of death, because it forces you to have an honest and authentic conversation with yourself about why you do what you do and what gets you out of bed in the morning. Once you know that, everything from your life to your business to your family starts falling into place. You just have to be willing to face it. Robin Wheeler is the author of the book, Death is the Ultimate Orgasm. His message is simple, be yourself for a living. He uses ancient spirituality and the current world of music, business and entrepreneurship and turns it into a modern vernacular that helps people live on a higher level of consciousness for a new age. During my interview with Robin, he summed up death for entrepreneurs. Death and life are inseparable. The moment you are conceived, your death is immediately built into that. If you want to be realistic about your purpose in life, you have to embrace the fact that you are going to die. Otherwise, you're living in delusion. And if you're living in delusion, you can't live properly. So if you want to truly live, you need to embrace death. Robin runs retreats all around the world. One of these retreats is in Rishikesh in India. Retreat goers visit cemeteries to sit and meditate among the graves. He said... To the average Westerner, this sounds hectic, but we do this to wake people up. If you can't face the reality that you will die, then you are not living in reality. Death is integral to life because we are living and dying all the time. To embrace this fact is to live in a fully conscious way by integrating all areas of your life. There are many similarities between death and business. Businesses are created and born every day. We nurture the business for years and then one day it dies. When this happens, the grief is personal, and in the process, we're reborn as entrepreneurs. As it is in life, so too, in business, death is inevitable. Face this truth, and you can truly start living within your business instead of being held back by fear. A simple example of how an entrepreneur can become more self-aware is cash flow. 
Entrepreneurs have to survive their worst fears, and one of those fears is running out of money. Imagine that you have staff to pay, but you don't have enough cash. You scramble for days trying to make ends meet, and the night before all those debit orders are going to go through, you feel like your world is about to end. But then in the morning, you open one eye, and you realize that while you might not have any money, your world has not ended. You're not dead. In fact, you're still very much alive. That's all you've got. You're not dead. And then you realize that, okay, I was living with a certain sense of myself, and now I've awakened to a deeper sense of self that actually bridges those gaps. And you become aware of a self who can survive those challenges. And that resilience is what becomes the seasoned entrepreneur. And that's the one who ultimately succeeds, the one who knows who he or she is. So death is essential in an entrepreneur's life, Robin told me. Becoming self-aware as an entrepreneur is a conscious and lifelong endeavor. It's also an essential ingredient to leading a successful and happy life because self-awareness precedes choice and choice precedes results. You also have to be consciously open to your death in order to develop an insatiable curiosity, a desire to seek the truth about who you are as a human being first and as an entrepreneur second. Enter Aristotle. Aristotle lived between 384 BC and 322 BC and was an ancient Greek philosopher and scientist born in the city of Stagira in Greece. Along with Plato, he is considered to be the father of Western philosophy, which means he's accredited with being one very smart dude. He was incredibly curious about pretty much everything. In fact, he was so intelligent and curious that society sentenced him to death, says Robin Society told him to either leave or drink poison. He chose to drink the poison because in his words, he had truly lived. A short while after drinking the poison, he couldn't feel his feet, to which he said, I can't feel my feet, but I am still here, so I am not my feet. When his legs went numb, he said, I may not feel my legs, but I am still here, so who is left? To reach a higher level of awareness requires us to embrace death in a curious, courageous and open manner so that ultimately we can discover a greater sense of the truth about who we are, what makes us tick, and the change we want to make in the world as entrepreneurs. Embracing death reveals purpose. Dr. Adriana Maria is a physicist, innovator, and aspiring extraterrestrial. Since childhood, she has dreamed of living on another planet, and is currently one of the 100 Mars One Project astronaut candidates in the running to move to the red planet in the next decade. Mars One plans to be the first company to colonize Mars. The humans who go on this mission are not going to come back to Earth. They will die on Mars. They are not only choosing to die on a different planet, but to leave everyone and everything they know and love to get onto a spaceship that may or may not reach its destination. And if it does reach Mars, that's it. They're stuck there for life. There's no going back. Adriana fascinates me. I asked her why she was doing this and she said, The reason I want to go to Mars is simple. I have to go. The allure of the unknown is far more powerful than the comfort of the known. What she's doing terrifies me. But when you meet her, one thing is very clear. She knows exactly what she wants. Death doesn't scare her. By accepting the inevitability of death, she's able to chase this incredible, crazy, life-changing dream. I'm not saying we should all have a dream as extreme as Adriana's, but we do need to start thinking about our purpose. What holds meaning for you? You only get this one life to live. So what do you want it to mean when it ends? 
If you want to get a deeper sense of your purpose, then at some point you need to have a come-to-Jesus conversation with yourself, and the best way to do that is to think about your death. It will force you to ask, and more importantly answer, the big questions about your life. Who am I? What legacy do I want to leave behind? What is the purpose of my life? What do I really need? Why do I do what I do? At some point, I will reach the moment of my death. When that happens, there will be two questions that will reign supreme. The first is, who did I become? For me at least, being an entrepreneur is less about acquiring more, it's about becoming more. Stop for a moment and imagine that this is the day of your funeral. Two of your friends are chatting and sharing anecdotes. And then one raises the topic of who you became in life. What are they saying to each other? How are they describing your growth and journey? Really imagine hearing the actual words. What would you want them to say? Imagine they're talking about what an inspiring entrepreneur you were, how you changed the world, leaving it a better place. Now imagine they're talking about the really big business you built, becoming a billionaire, except you didn't do much with your wealth or influence. How do these two separate narratives make you feel? The second question is about who you have helped. Every incredibly successful entrepreneur and human being I've interviewed has a deep need to contribute to humanity and the world around them. So on the day of your funeral, are people only going to talk about how you helped yourself or are they going to talk about the millions of people you mentored and helped through your business endeavors? Many entrepreneurs get so caught up in the pursuit of material things and the running of the business itself that they don't stop to think about how they can make a positive difference to those around them at the same time. Don't get me wrong. I'm certainly guilty of this too, but I've come to realize that it's not the best way to build or run a business, and it's certainly not the best way to live life. It's small thinking for even smaller rewards. Mark Benioff, the founder and CEO of Salesforce, and whose net worth is currently north of $6 billion, is actively asking entrepreneurs around the world to pledge 1% of their most important resources, product, time, and equity, to support the integration of this philosophy into their businesses from an early stage. Mark has built a business to scale. Salesforce is an international market leader. But he understands the value of contribution as an entrepreneur and that you don't need to be running a non-profit social enterprise to do it. You can make money and a difference at the same time. The challenge with contribution, of course, is that your ego is always messing with your shit. Your ego will fuck with your reality, decision-making, and most certainly with your idea of contribution, your ego will convince you that contribution should not be the goal. Instead, it will drive you to accumulating things that involve status, power, and success. But underneath that veil is the need for something authentic and the experience of living a life filled with meaning and purpose. But you need to lift the veil and let your true self out. It's only in the absence of being fully alive that we look for substitutes in material things. When we acquire them, we then look to get more and more of the same until a wealth of possessions becomes a monument to an unfulfilled life. Don't get me wrong, I like living a comfortable life, and entrepreneurship can support that, a nice house, private school for my kids, and hobbies I enjoy. But without purpose, it can be pretty empty, particularly when you're working 20-hour days and have forgotten your why. Getting over ego is never an easy thing to do, and entrepreneurs tend to have a lot of ego. As a result, we deal with the endless and inevitable consequence of ambition in life and in business. There's an argument to be made that ego exists to serve our best interests, but
but it can also quickly undermine the same dreams it's supposed to be helping us achieve. The irony is that we are offered very little help with this dilemma in life, and even less so in the context of business and entrepreneurship. There's no manual for entrepreneurs that accurately describes the inner workings of our ego and its influence on our choices. There's certainly nothing that describes how to deal with our ego-driven selves in a simple, effective, and repeatable manner. We need our egos to navigate the business world, to guide our instincts, and to drive our personal ambitions. But we also need to recognize that in the context of ego and scale, we all suffer from a split personality disorder in which our present self wants a specific thing, that billion-dollar business, but our future or past self wants a different thing, a life filled with meaning and purpose. And this is the business of egonomics, so prevalent in the entrepreneurial world. Author Gaurav Madan defines egonomics as a composite of two terms, ego and omics. In his view, ego is our self-awareness, the part of the mind that mediates between the conscious and the unconscious and is responsible for reality testing and also a sense of personal identity. However, the suffix omics derives its meaning from biology. In other words, a study in the totality of an entity, which in this case is the self. He suggests egonomics is a process of developing holistic awareness of awareness itself. At the core of egonomics is the idea that within every entrepreneur exist two selves, the past or future self and the present self, constantly at odds, leading to a sort of cognitive dissonance between the two. Both selves exist within us and are equally valid, but aren't always active at the same time. It's a natural and ongoing conflict between immediate desire and long-term desires. The longing to build a big business versus the longing for meaning. Simply put, because of our egos, on any given day, we can behave like two different people. For example, one who wants clean lungs and a long, healthy life, and the other who can't wait to light up that first cigarette over a hot cup of coffee in the morning. Or how about the person who wants a fit and lean body and the same person who can't stop eating chocolates or sweets? In the context of entrepreneurship, it's the aspiring entrepreneur who wants to build a business but then doesn't put in the hard work every single day and who isn't prepared to make the necessary sacrifices, both big and small, to get there. Alternatively, it's the scale-based entrepreneur who would really be happier with the lifestyle business that supports playing golf three times a week. It all comes down to figuring out what we really want and then going for it with everything we have. There are many shapes and forms of egonomics. It comes down to our own level of self-awareness. When it comes to inner game, I believe the happiest and most successful entrepreneurs in life, not turnover size, have found a way to balance ego and omics. When I started podcasting, my purpose was simple, to help entrepreneurs succeed through information sharing at scale. Like Joey Evans, I didn't find my purpose, I created it. If you are in need of a life filled with purpose, Robin says that thinking about your death is the bottom line of all things. He says, Death is the greatest advisor you can have. Even Steve Jobs said that death is very likely the single best invention of life. You have to go on an inward journey of death because you'll never survive the stress of entrepreneurship and self-actualization without that depth. Be yourself for a living. Business just follows on from that. Self-discovery is at the center of everything we do. Today, when I consider the first podcast I ever did, I can see clearly the extraordinary journey of transformation I've been on and everything I've learned over the past five years. I'm also aware that my motivations came from a place of contribution, which is what makes this endeavor so different from many that came before it. Because of this, I have built the most amazing network around the world, signed multiple book deals, built a business that has quadrupled in size in only six months, was voted as the best tech startup in Africa, and has expanded into the US, 
in Austin, Texas, and the UK. Looking back, I sincerely doubt that any of this would have been possible if I hadn't learned how to be clear on my own why and what my true motivations are as an entrepreneur. Without these fundamental elements of my own code in place, I would never have been able to start living my life to its fullest potential. The antithesis of a life of regret is having a code and a set of principles to live by. We need that roadmap. Death and Regret Rich Mulholland is the founder of Cultivation, a holding company for a number of innovative businesses, one of which was his first company, Missing Link. Two decades after he launched it, Missing Link is one of the world's leading presentation companies. It was while he was wrestling with the idea of whether or not he should step away from Missing Link to pursue a new business idea that he wrote a talk entitled How Not to Live with Regret. He was in the middle of a life-changing decision himself, but the talk was triggered by an experience he had had with his great-aunt. Two days before she died, Rich walked into her room and she was crying. Here's the backstory. When she was 20, she fell in love with a man who wasn't Catholic. When her parents found out, they forbade her from seeing him ever again. Even though he had proposed, she did what they said, and she never spoke to him again. More than 66 years later, on her deathbed, she was crying because she was wondering what her life would have been like if she had married Leslie John Moore. Her dying days were spent regretting a decision she herself hadn't made. This story really makes me appreciate how Robin views death. We need to think about our final days. Thinking about death holds a mirror up to our lives today and the decisions we are making in the here and now. Entrepreneurship must be worth something more than just the accumulation of material things. The irony of regret is that it isn't based on what you achieve, but rather on what you didn't do. For instance, you'll never regret not building a big business if you gave it your best shot. But you will regret not trying if that's what you'd love to achieve. Rich's talk had over 17 million views on Goldcast's Facebook page at the time this book went to print. Not living with regret seems to be something we are all very interested in achieving, and yet so few of us look ahead enough to ensure we're making the right decisions today to be truly happy tomorrow. Welcome back. So Matt, I mean, this is a business book, and chapter three, we're still at the beginning, and you dived right into talking about death and what terrifies you. You as the reader, you as Matt Brown, me as Nadine Todd. How is this relevant to building a company and entrepreneurship? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Well, a lot of things terrify us, right? Um, And I think as that relates to the world of business and entrepreneurship, one of the things that I've found in my interviews with people is that the things that terrify you are usually things that terrify a lot of other people. 
And the business businesses who are most successful or the founders that are most successful recognize that they found companies which solve immediate problems for them, things that terrify them. So I had Mickey Agrawal on my show a couple of times recently. And to give you an example of what I've just described is that she founded a bidet company because she felt for her that the hygiene related to when you know you go to the loo was not where it needed to be. Also, the fact that you know, something like 14 million trees are cut down every year to create toilet paper. And that's just in the US alone, which is ridiculous, right? So for her, that was a cause and a problem that resonated with her. Now, she then asked herself, well, does this problem exist for many people or does it suck for many other people? And it, it did. So what she did was she founded a bidet company and that company is now worth like $150 million. So and, you know, that pattern of does this suck for me, does this suck for many other people, and can it scale, can I create a category that I can own, that pattern exists in many, many, many businesses, right? So Uber, Airbnb, and many, many others. So um, that is such an important uh, relationship between what terrifies you, the problems that exist in the world, and how to go out there and solve them as an entrepreneur. One of the things you, you focus on though in this chapter, but it's very much a recurring theme throughout the book though, is you need to, you know, it's not just the first step you take, it's the next step and the next step and the next step. That that idea that the most important step is the next one to carry on pushing through. And a lot of that's got to do with harnessing your fear. So later we'll be talking about courage, but right now, what do you do when you're scared? Because Because we're all scared sometimes, right? How do you approach it? It's a difficult one to articulate or illustrate in terms of my own internal process. The reason for that is because I've become quite good at compartmentalizing my feelings. So if something if I'm really scared about something, I have I'm very good at compartmentalizing it and shoving it down somewhere deep uh, so that it doesn't interfere with my modus operandi. Many of us when we get scared, it's the opposite, right? We haven't trained ourselves to compartmentalize and put it aside. And so what happens is when we're not skillful enough at that particular thing, then fear becomes front and center. And, start, and so it starts to gnaw and manipulate our ability to make effective decision-making. So this is really such a, a quintessential um, point that, we, that you're asking me to, to articulate. So thanks for this. So what do you do? So one of the ways to overcome fear, which by the way, is not something that you can just overcome, right? The idea is not to be fearless, but to be fearless. Uh, and that's such an important process or principle to, to articulate at this point. So in the book, I write about fear setting, which is something that Tim Ferriss writes about, which essentially is a process and a framework that anybody can use to really come to terms with uh, wrestling with their own fear. So one of those things is to write down like what is the absolute worst case scenario here. So if this happens, what happens? If I can't pay salaries, write down what happens. How am I going to feel? What are the conversations I'm going to have? What are the emails I'm going to receive, et cetera, et cetera. And then from there, extrapolate what to do about it, right? And in the book, I reveal the exact framework to do that. So um, my internal process is I've just learned to compartmentalize things because the one thing I've learned as an entrepreneur is that you never get out of this uncertainty. There is only certainty of uncertainty. 
Um, and so when you are familiar with that, I mean, day one, when you start a company, it's just very different from when you're in your 10th year. <laughs> you know what I mean? So day one is the scariest time. But once you jump and you decide to start a company, the rest is actually more manageable than that first day, irrespective of how big the company gets. So um, that is how one should really look at managing fear. Thanks, Matt. Um, for our listeners, if that sounds like something you really want to dive into, the next chapter will really be focusing on the idea of fearless and fearless. So enjoy it when, when you reach it. Um, now, Matt, for you, you know, we spoke in, in the last chapter and it really comes up in this one. It's your funeral. Let's assume you've lived the life of purpose that you wanted to lead. What are people saying about you? Really? That's a hard one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, what do you want to say but, about me? <laughs> no. You I mean, answer. What that. I love about this. <laughs> so, I mean, this is actually just highlighting how tricky this is, right? Because when I read it, I got that strange feeling for myself as well. And and I know it's something Robin Wheeler really pushes, but what are people saying about you? And and I think going back to your point that we don't want to think about our deaths, so we don't want to think what people might be saying about us. But we can't shape that reality we want unless we really do focus on it. So talk to me a little bit about that then, you know, how to become the person you want to be. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I can tell you now is that the kinds of things people would say I already get told. Um, the reason I know that is that towards the end of last year, we had uh, National Bosses Day, or we have this crazy, ridiculous idea called National Bosses Day. Uh, in South Africa. And um, I had the whole team hijack me one day and I jumped in a meeting and then everyone was there, I didn't know about it. And then they all basically were saying things that they either respected about me or attributes that they felt were powerful about my character. So, you know, um, one of the things was, you know, amazing leader, uh, the fact that I believed in certain individuals on the team where they didn't believe in themselves that I get the most out of them. You know, I help grow people more than they ever imagined, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's very humbling to hear that. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't need to hear that, but to hear it makes me recognize how important it is to grow people and people come first or should come first in your business. Um, so those are the kinds of things that um, people are saying now, what they'll say in, you know, when, <laughs> how many years have I got left here? Probably like 60 uh, I don't know. I don't know. But I would say that it would be similar to those kinds of things. But the things that they would say would all be, you know, the uh, adjectives that describe the difference that I've made in their lives. And I think that is really where the value of leadership manifests itself, right? In that people will always resonate with people who care about them. You know, if you demonstrate care, if you demonstrate empathy, if you demonstrate the ability to lead when others might fail, if you're able to envision the future, whereas, uh, you know, other, com other founders may not, if you're able to make the tough decisions and have the tough conversations where others might, you know, prefer to procrastinate about having that conversation. So uh, there's many qualities in leadership that, uh, that go into this whole pot. But certainly the one thing that I've learned about leadership is that it's not about them working for you. It's about you working for them. And as long as you execute with that principle in mind, you will always become the best version of yourself. 
I love that. Thanks, Matt. Um, okay, let's dive into chapter four and becoming fearless. It's one of my favorite chapters of the book. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.